Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Today we are focusing on committing ourselves as a church towards this building program. And we've mentioned time and time again about the needs here of the church with the parking, the classes, and, and all sorts of different things. So I won't repeat any of those things, but there is a need here in our church. And I believe that now is the time where God has moved us to move forward in this program. And the verse that we are studying as we pray over this commitment is Haggai chapter 1, verse number 8. The verse is there on the screen. And the verse says this, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And so we've kind of taken this verse and condensed it down to the idea, which is build the house and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. But to understand why that verse exists, and why that book, the book of Haggai, exists, we actually had to go back. So last week, we began in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, chapter 2, and into chapter 3. And we're going to continue because to understand why that verse exists, we need to understand the book of Ezra, which covers the rebuilding of the temple. And in chapter number 1, we saw that King Cyrus of Persia, he had given the commandment to rebuild the temple. And so Zerubbabel and Jeshua and others left their homes and went back to Israel in order to build the temple. And in the verses that we just read, we saw how they completed the temple. When they had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they gathered themselves together, they praised the Lord, they sang to the Lord because he is good and his mercy endureth forever. And so that was a wonderful beginning. The foundation was complete. It was a great start, but they were not done yet. It's been said that it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. And we're here taking a look at a building commitment, looking forward to finishing. And so I want to see three actions this morning that we must take and consider in this building fund commitment. The first of which is we must stand against the foe. Moving forward into chapter number four of the book of Ezra, verse number one says this. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, they began to step in. So as, as this building program is moving forward, now the adversaries come forward and they begin to oppose the work that is there. And it's interesting the timing of when the adversaries show up. Now, if you go back to chapter 3, verse number 8, where it says that they completed the building of the foundation, it says there in verse number 8, now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, then they were building and then they completed so when you take a look at Ezra chapter 1, 2, and 3, you'll, you, if you weren't here last week, you can review those later. But the, the king had given a commandment, go back and build the temple. And it's now been two years since that command was given when they completed not the temple, but just the foundation of the temple. So it's been two years since the command was given, two years since they began to plan and prepare for going back to Israel, two years 
since the announcement of the building of the temple. And for most of those two years, there was nothing. And these adversaries, it's interesting to note, did not show up until the work of God had begun. They weren't bothered to do anything. They heard the command of Cyrus, the king. They saw the people returning. They saw even some of the preparation, but they were not bothered to do anything about it until the people of God were bothered to do something about it. Because wickedness is happy as long as we're just thinking about it. Wickedness is happy as long as we're just talking about it. Wickedness does not feel moved to action until we do something about it. See, when, when you take a look and think about what God wants for us to do, opposition doesn't feel like they need to do anything as long as we're just thinking about it, as long as we're just talking about it. And we've been talking about it. You know, he, wickedness is happy when all that we do is just say things like, you know what would be great? It would be great if we had enough parking spots for everybody. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would be great. I think that would be wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we would love to have that. As long as that's the extent of the conversation, wickedness is happy with that. Sure, talk about it all you want. Think about it all you want. That's great. Just don't do anything about it. It's been said that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. As long as they're just thinking about it, as long as they're just talking about it, and God wants us to do something about it, and here are the people of God doing something, and then the opposition comes, and they're going to do everything that they can, everything that they can think of, every single idea that comes into their brain, they're going to try them all in order to stop them. And they tried everything. They tried to deceive them in verse number two. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, let us build with you for we seek your God as ye do and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezarhadon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. They're saying, hey, you're building something. Why don't you let us work with you? Hey, we, we serve the same God. We're doing the same things. We want the same things that you do. Verse number three, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. And so they tried to deceive them. Hey, we're really on your side when 100% they were not. They wanted to stop the building. And so they tried to deceive them in that way. And Zerubbabel said, no, you have no part with us. You're, you're, you're not on the same page with us. They tried to deter them in verse number four. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So they tried to deceive them. Hey, we're really on your side. And they said, no, I don't think so. You're not on our side. And so then they tried to weaken the hands and, and trouble them and cause them some difficulty in the building of the temple. They then tried to discourage them in verse number five and hire counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So Cyrus is king there as they're building the temple, they're working on the foundation. And so they're hiring people to come in and cause trouble and say, hey, you really don't want to do that. This is not really a good time. This is not how you should be doing that. And trying to frustrate their purpose. And it didn't just stop with King Cyrus. It went all the way until uh, the reign of King Darius, which is 
three kings later. And so year after year after year, they're bringing in these people, trying to trick them, confuse them, trying to discourage them. Ultimately, they tried to fully disrupt them. In verse number six, it says, in the reign, And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Rehum the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king in this sort. Then wrote uh, Rehum the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their companions, the Danaites, the Aphrasathites, and the Tarpalites, the Aphrasites, the Archivites, the Babylonians, the Susanchites, uh, the Deavites, and the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Asnapar brought over and sent in the cities of Samaria, and the rest that are on this side, the river, and at such a time. So here, all of these people that are the adversaries of what is going on in Jerusalem get together and they are speechwriters, if you will. They write down this letter to be given to the king. And this is what it says. This is a copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king, they, the servants, the men on this side the river and at such a time. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof, and joined the foundations. Be it known now unto the king, that if this city be builded, and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. Now because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, Therefore have we sent and certified the king, that search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers, so shalt thou find the book of the records, and know that this city is a rebellious city, and hurtful unto kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which cause was this city destroyed. We certify the king, that if this city be built again, and the walls thereof set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side the river." I mean, do you see the kind of letter that they're writing? This city is a terrible city, and these people are terrible people, and they're going to do horrible things. Not one time have you noticed that the command was for the temple. All they were doing was building the temple. And they're saying, oh, they're building the city, and they're building the walls, and they're not going to pay tribute and do all of these things. And, and they're throwing all of these accusations to the government against these people. Then sent the king an answer unto Rehum the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwelt in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river, peace, and at such a time. The letter which ye have sent unto us hath been plainly read before me, and I commanded, and search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll, and tribute, and custom, was paid unto them, giving now commandment to cause these men to cease, and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, 
They went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So here we see that God had moved the people of God to work on this temple, to begin to build this temple that needed to be rebuilt. And it was to the honor of God. It really would have been to the help of all people. But once the building began to go up, those that opposed the work of God began to do everything that they could, ultimately, finally, writing a letter unto the king of Persia to tell him, you need to stop these people from building. And so a commandment was given, and they took the letter, and they went over to the people, and they said, you have to stop now. The king said, you have to stop. And it worked. See, wickedness will do anything it can to stop the people of God. But we must not let it. We must not let wickedness win. We must not let wickedness stop us. We must continue to stand for the cause of Christ, to stand for God's word, to stand for the church. The enemy is content as long as we sit here in these walls and talk with each other. Just think about what may be as long as we don't do anything about it. That's really what this building commitment is about about putting action to our thoughts, putting into implementation the things that we have talked about. And so I think that's why this commitment is important, for us to really put action to those ideas that have been sitting in our heads for a little while now. But we must know that once we begin to do something, there will be opposition, and we must stand against it. When we make commitments, let us stand for that commitment. Oh, the the devil will do everything that it can to say, you know what, you can't afford to give to God. Uh, They'll say, you know what, times are tough, inflation is high, Uh, you never know what might happen in the future. They will do everything that they can to dissuade us from living for God and following after him. But we must stand. And we must stay until the finish. Because here in this situation, those that oppose the work of God had had a victory. They had a temporary victory. They convinced the king to order them to stop, and they stopped. Even though that was what God wanted them to do was to build the temple, even though King Cyrus had given a commandment, the situation stood there the same for 16 years. Year after year, it sat there. Started, but not finished. Incomplete, and unusable. Year after year, the order from God stood to build the temple, and year after year, the people feared to continue to move forward. That's where Haggai comes in. Ezra chapter 5, verse number 1, says, Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So this is what the book of Haggai and Zechariah also are about. They are about, you guys started great. You came back to Israel. You started the building. You prepared all of the materials. You laid the foundation. But you didn't finish. You're not done yet. And so Haggai came in, sent by God, and it says there in Haggai chapter 1, 
in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of, God, uh, of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. If we were to kind of bring this language to today, we might say it this way. One day, one day we'll finish the temple, but today is not that day. One day we're going to finish what we started. One day we're going to do what God called for us to do. One day we're going to do those things. One day we're going to do it. One day we're going to do those things. But today is not that day. And that's why God had to send Haggai to the people and said, you say that today is not the day. The time is not come. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here, what God is saying is the temple was the building of God. It was, it was a representative of the house of God in a way. You could think of it that way. Of course, we know that God is everywhere, but, you know, here is these people living in their homes, fully furnished, fully comfortable, fully finished, and the house of God was incomplete. And what God is trying to do is lay this comparison out of, you wouldn't want to live in a house that was not complete. You wouldn't want to live in a house that had no roof. You wouldn't want to live in a house that had no doors. You wouldn't want to live in a house that had no windows. You wouldn't want to live in a house that had, you know, uh, uh, just bare, you know, framing and things like that. You would want to live in a house that was complete, that was finished. And God is saying, you live in houses that are finished. But what about me? Uh, that, that's what he's saying to these people. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. In verse number seven, verse number eight says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And so God uses these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to come unto the people and say, you did great. You started great. You're, you're doing, it's, it's good. What you did was great, but you're not finished yet. So let's finish the job. And I think that's a part of what we're doing here with the building commitment is our church got off to a great start. You know, Pastor Troy came and started the church and, uh, you know, people came and people got saved and people gave towards this building. And so th- we now have this property in this place and, and uh, we've been doing great. We started great, but I really believe that God is saying to our church, we are not finished yet. This is not the final destination. There's another place for us that God has for us where we might continue to grow the ministry and reach even more people with the gospel. Verse number 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord, God, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. And so here is a message from God. The people of God respond And I want us to notice what enabled these people to finish. Because God gave the order again, finish the temple, but you'll notice that God did not change the circumstances. God did not change those enemies, the adversaries that were there. They were still there. 
the command from King Ahasuerus, it was still there. All of these situations had not changed. There was no difference in the situation. And yet, despite the lack of a change of situation, they were able to finish. One of the reasons is because when the people heard the word of God and obeyed the word of God, God stood with them. After they committed themselves and said, this is what God says, this is what we're going to do. In verse number 13, it says, Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. You know what God is saying? He's saying, what I have called for you to do, I'm not just sending you out there to go do it. I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to work with you. And I'm going to be there alongside of you. And when God calls us to do something, know that God comes alongside of us. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And if we commit ourselves to following God, God will be with us in the work, in the labor, in all that we do. When the people obeyed, we also see that God stirred them up. In verse number 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of jo Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Do you see what God did for these people? They heard the word of God, they committed themselves to obeying the word of God, and God stirred up the spirit of the leaders. God stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. God stirred up the spirit of Joshua. And God stirred up the spirit of the people. You see, these people were excited about the building. These people were excited about what God was going to do for them. You know where that excitement came from? It came from God. God was the one that had stirred them up. God was the one who stirred up the spirit of the governor. He stirred up the spirit of the high priest and the spirit of all of the people. That was what God did for them. And all of that came from God. And so I have to ask all of us a question. Are you excited about the things of God? Maybe another question to ask, do you want to be excited about the things of God? Maybe if you're just honest in your heart, you say, you know what, I know that this is God's work, and I know that, you know, these are good things, but, you know, just deep down in my heart, it just doesn't excite me as much as, you know, the Dodgers playing on a, you know, Saturday afternoon, you know, or, uh, you know, the Lakers, you know, winning a championship and things like that, you know, it, you know I, I know it's the things of God, and I know I should be excited, but just deep down, I just don't feel stirred up about things as some other things. I believe that there's a great Bible principle here, which is commit yourself to the things of God, and then you'll get excited about it. Sometimes people are waiting for this motivation. They're waiting, you know what? When I get excited about it, then I'll go do it. And what God says, no, it's the other way around. You commit yourself to the things of God, and then you'll be excited about it. Then I will stir your hearts. Then you'll have a passion about these things. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and seal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's make a clear application. Again, we're talking to our church family here about making a financial commitment. When it comes to financial commitments, I know that, you know, the cynic would say, you know, accuse the church of different things, but... We are a church 
And we are trying to build spiritual things. That is our goal, okay? The point of this building commitment is not just to have a property that, you know, is, you know, nicer or whatever, bigger and better, okay? I believe that we do need that, but it's for the purpose of spiritual things, so that we could preach the gospel, so that we could have more space for classes, that we might be able to grow the ministry in different ways. Those things are important. And what God says is that's what we should be excited about. And there's no better way for us to get excited about something than to put your money into that thing. Don't raise your hands here, but anybody here have money in the stock market? Anybody here have money in the stock market in 2020? When it started going down and 30% down and, and then later in the year it started going up and it doubled like in a, in a year and, and then now it's down again. All right, for, you know, just between you and yourself, just if you have money in the stock market, how many of you, just to be honest, when the stock market went down, you were like, uh-oh. And then it started going up, and you're like, yeah, come on. And then now it's going down again, you're like, uh-oh. Now, some of you might have different strategies about investing and things like that, but the point is that your heart is tied to the stock market because you have money there. I remember when I graduated college. I graduated in 2008. 2008, if some of you will know, is when the great financial crisis started. You know, or 2007, 2008, into 2009, I graduated right before a massive drop. You know, that fall, it really dropped far. It, it, like, the stock market got cut in half, right? Imagine if your wealth got cut in half, right? That, that's pretty major, that's pretty bad, okay? I was not aware that that is what happened in the stock market. You know why I was not aware that the stock market got cut in half? in 2008 and 2009. You know why? I had no money in the stock market in 2008 and 2009. I was not even aware that this was going on because I had nothing in it. I was not aware, nor did I really care, because I don't have any money there. Oh, it gets cut in half. Half of zero is zero. Okay, great, I've still got zero, okay? But if you had money in the stock market, I'm sure a lot of you were thinking, uh-oh, are we in trouble here? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to all of these different things? And so it just goes to show there's a very practical principle, just talking as a human being to another human being, where you put your money is where your heart will follow. And I'm asking, and I think God is asking, are you excited about the things of God? Are you excited about this building program? Are you excited about what God is going to do in the ministry here of Bible Baptist Church? You know, a great way for us to get our hearts into this, for God to stir our hearts, is to commit our treasures to those things. You know, God could, just out of the blue, just give us a property for free. He could, right? He could do that. And maybe some of you are praying for that. And I'm not saying I would be opposed to that, okay? I don't think it'll happen, but God could do it, right? Right, God could do anything. 
God could do that. So why doesn't he? Doesn't God love us? Doesn't God want the best for us? Why doesn't he just give it to us? He could do it. Why doesn't he just give it to us? One of the reasons why I believe that God doesn't just give his people these things is he wants us to commit to it and to have our hearts stirred up about it. For us, because if you get something for free, it's not the same as if you did something for it. And we know, of course, that God is the one that's going to do it. We understand that. But there's something about when you commit yourself into something that it makes it, it, makes it special. It makes it ours. It makes it God moved us to do this thing and look what God did through us and, and we stepped out in faith and God delivered on that faith and look at where we are. That makes it special. That makes it worthwhile and meaningful to us because we don't treat free things the same way that we do the thing that we worked hard for and, and did all of those things. There's something about where our heart will be. God wants to make sure our heart is in it. That's the matter. God says that we should keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the matters of life. And so God is concerned with our heart. So why do we have to give financially? Well, because it's a matter of the heart. Is your heart in it? Is your heart in the things of God? So that's why God is asking for us to commit in some ways. Now, not everybody com com can commit financially in the same way. Some people will commit themselves towards service in different ways, all of these things. But the point is that we would all commit ourselves to the Lord. And you'll notice that when the people obeyed, God strengthened them. In verse number two of Ezra chapter five, then rose Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shether Bosnai and their companions and said unto them, who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Say, who, who told you you could do this? That's what they're saying. Then said we after this manner, what are the names of the men that build this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease. You know what the Bible says here? The Bible says no matter what the adversaries tried, they could not stop the people of God. That's what God did for these people. You know why God did that for these people? Because they committed themselves to obeying God no matter what was going on around them. No matter the opposition, no matter all of the troubles, no matter all of the orders, God said, this is what I want you to do. And they said, well, let's go do it then. And they committed themselves to God. And God said, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to stir you up. And I'm going to protect you. And they could not stop the work of the temple of God. Until in Ezra chapter 6, verse 15, it says, And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Finally, it was finished by the hand of God. And I think that's where we are right now. We're in the middle of a great work, but we're not finished yet. So let's stay until the finish. Thirdly and lastly, I want us to consider for us to see into the future. Now, of course, literally, we can't see into the future. We can imagine into the future. 
But the beauty of studying history and studying the Bible is that we can see what happened after that. Because you'll notice that the building of the temple is complete in chapter number six. We just read that, right? But the book doesn't end in chapter number six. It keeps going. There are 10 chapters in this book. And you'll notice that the name of the book is Ezra. But we haven't really mentioned Ezra at all up until this point, right? The book is named Ezra, but where is Ezra? <laughs> He's not in chapter one or chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six. Well, Ezra, he's a godly man, of course. Ezra lives in, in Babylon, and he seems like the kind of man who, if the order was, all of you that are of the people of God, go back to Israel and build the temple, he would have seemed like the kind of man that would have done that. He was a godly man. He wanted the things of God. And when the commandment was given, you would have thought that Ezra would go. But when you read in chapter 7, we're not going to read the verses for now. But the Bible doesn't say that he went back to build the temple. In fact, in Ezra chapter 7, verse number 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Well, he was seeking the law of God. He wanted to do the law of God and he wanted to teach the law of God. And those are all great and wonderful things, but from a purely humanistic standpoint, it sounds like Ezra wants the easy part, right? Oh, go back and build the temple and chop down trees and, you know, put stones onto the, you know, lay foundations. That sounds like hard work. You guys do that and I'll just, when you guys are done, I'll come and I'll just teach the word of God. How about that? Doesn't that sound great? You guys do all the manual labor. I'll just come in and I'll sit down in a nice, comfortable, heated room and uh, I'll teach the word of God, right? But that's not who Ezra was. And there's a very good reason why Ezra did not go back and build the temple. The reason is, by the time that Ezra comes around, the temple's already done. Because the gap between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7 is about 60 years. So, you know, when you read the book of Ezra, and at least when I would read the book of Ezra, I would just read through it and read through it and read through it, and I'd just be like, oh yeah, Ezra chapter 6, great. Ezra chapter 7, great. And because the pages are right next to each other, you think they happen right after each other, right? But that's not the case here. There's about a 60-year gap. Ezra chapter 1 begins with King Cyrus. Ezra chapter 7 begins with King Artaxerxes. You just have to go back in history and just, you know, you see all the kings and you'll see a couple of kings uh, after Cyrus and then Darius and then Ahasuerus and then Artaxerxes. And so there's a lot of time that has passed in between Zerubbabel and Ezra. You know why Ezra's heart was not in building the temple? Well, because it was done already by that time and had been for many decades by the time that Ezra came around. And so the ministry had been going on. In fact, all of the individuals that we just talked about, they're probably not even alive. Zerubbabel's probably not alive. Haggai's not alive. Uh, uh, Zechariah's not alive. They're gone, and they've passed on. But what they built lived on. They were no longer here, but the temple continued to stand. And the story did not end with the completion of the temple and the story did not end with what Zerubbabel did or what Jeshua did or what Haggai and Zechariah said. 
Decades later, after the work was done, a little boy is born in Babylon. He grows up in Babylon. And his parents teach him the word of God. They teach him the Bible. They teach him about his heritage. They teach him about his place in the ministry. And they teach him these things. And this little boy grows up desiring to serve God. And in verse number 10, it says, He prepared his heart to seek the law of God and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. This little boy had the blessing of not having to build the temple because it was done already. And he was able to use the temple that was there to further what God wanted for his people, which was to teach them the word of God. He was able to do that because Zerubbabel, many decades before, decided, you know what, God's calling me to do something, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to finish this temple. The name Zerubbabel means born in Babylon. That's what it means. Right? You can even see in the second half of his name, Babel or Babylon. He was born in Babylon, but he didn't stay there. He went back to Israel, and he followed the calling of God, and he built the temple. And because of his work, his obedience, little Ezra could grow up looking forward to teaching at the temple. And so I want us to think about, and if we could, see into the future. Somewhere is a little boy that's going to come to our church. They're going to hear the word of God. Somewhere is a little boy that's going to hear the word of God and say, I want to do that. Somewhere is a little boy that's going to want to grow up and serve God in some way. Somewhere is a little boy that wants to do some great things for God. Somewhere is a little boy that's going to pray for the salvation of the lost. Maybe he'll commit his life to be a missionary somewhere. Somewhere is a little boy that says, I want to be used of God and to make a difference. Somewhere is a little boy. Somewhere is a little girl. Somewhere is a little child. Somewhere is a family out there that wants to see what God has for them. Somewhere is a family that is searching for something, and that something is the salvation of Jesus Christ. And if we were to put ourselves into this story, I would say that we are Zerubbabel here. We, we, we got off to a great start. And the church here, we got a great property. We have a great place. But I, I really believe that now is the time where God is saying, I know that some people think now is not the time. The time has not come. But God is saying, I think it's time now. It's time for us to move forward. And God has moved in us, and God is stirring the hearts of people. And I believe that we are in that place where we can now look into the future and see if we do what God wants for us to do and follow where God leads us, then God is going to do some things. And I want us to all picture that future. Maybe, maybe some of us will not be around. Maybe none of us will be around for some of these things that God is going to do. It will be many years into the future, but there is a future for our church and for others that God has planned and prepared for us. Ephesians chapter 3 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So this morning, as we consider this building fund commitment, can I ask you to commit yourself in some way financially to this project? It might be a dollar a week. might be hundreds of dollars a month. I, that commitment is between you and the Lord. But there is an adversary out there that doesn't want us to do anything. And I believe that we need to finish what God has called for us to do. 
And if we commit ourselves to what God is calling for us to do, he will be with us and he'll stir us up and he'll protect us and enable us to finish so that after us into the future, there's going to be an Ezra. There's going to be an Ezra that's going to do some great things because of the work that we're going to do beginning today.